doing this morning. Can we just go ahead and give God a hand clap this morning as we begin to worship? As we beg him to show himself. Sing. Come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Just sing it out. We beg you, Lord. Come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Like a wildfire, like a wildfire. Sing it again. Come right now. Come right now.
Spirit of God. Come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Oh, come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Like a wildfire, like a wildfire, spread like a wild, like a wildfire, like a wildfire. Just one more time. Come right now, Spirit of God. Oh, come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Come right now, come right now, Spirit of God. Spread like a wildfire, like a wildfire, like a wildfire.
about that bridge that says you turn shame into glory. And I think about all the shame in my life and the sins of my life and everything that most people would say embarrasses God. And he says, you know what? I'm going to take everything that you see that counts you out and I'm going to flip that around and I'm going to make it for my glory. Who's thankful for that this morning? Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Sing that one more time. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Better than you, there's nothing, nothing is better than you. Amen. Amen. Let's give him one more hand this morning. So thankful. God, as we continue to worship.
Fathers, we come before you this morning. God, I pray that you will help us to lay down everything that gets us distracted. God, that we can come to a point in our life that we will completely surrender everything that we are, everything that that, that we have. God, we will surrender it to you. God, I pray that as we've worshiped you in song this morning, God, that you, you've received our praise. God, that it's been sweet to your ear. God, I pray as, Father, we worship you with our tithes and our offerings. God, as we continue practicing surrendering to you. God, I thank you for your faithfulness. God, I thank you for your promises, for your goodness. Father, I pray that as we continue to be obedient to your voice, God, that you will help us. God, that you will bless God, use us to reach a community lost and dying people. It's in your name we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. I want to thank you for being here this morning. Um, How many people have cell phones? Let's see them. Hold them up high. I know a lot of you have them. I hear them the whole time I'm preaching. I'm just kidding. Um, when we first started this church, we uh, 
decided that it was important that we knew you were here. So um, if you see this screen behind me, uh, if you could be so kind to text the word here to 606-220-6111, that just lets us know that you're here. That's why it just says here. But um, so then, don't you love it when things change? Anybody like change? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Anybody just, you, how many women we have, you just, uh, you just walk into a room and say, this, this room's just got to change. And you start moving furniture around. Uh, some people like change, some people don't. Uh, so uh, for about two years now, we have said, man, it would be great if this one program that we use, if they would come up with a way that, that just like we check our kids in, if you have children, you know what that's like. It would be so great if we could do adults the same way, but let them do it themselves. So we waited, 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 waited. It never happened. So then we started doing this. Last week, I kid you not, I get a text message. It says, there's updates. We went and looked. And that thing that we'd been wanting for two years, it's now a possibility. And uh, so, if you do not have the Church Center app, so if you have a, if you have a, a iPhone or one of those other ungodly phones, whatever, the Android, is that what they're called? Something like that. If you have the, one of those, you can go to uh, the app store and download Church Center. And from that app, you can, uh, you can check in just with the click of a button. You can give, glory to God. You can uh, check your kids in. You can register for events. You can see the calendar. It's all right there in one simple app. Uh, and uh, that's Church Center. And if you have problems with that and you need, uh, as I said earlier, if you have problems with all the hashtag stuff and all that, um, just come see me or, or, or see uh, Pastor Nick or someone will help you walk you through it. In the first service, I just walked around and said, here, let's download this app. I was, the people were here early enough and I had enough time and, and I just walked them through it. So if you need that, but that will help us tremendously and I promise it'll help you too. Uh, and uh, so if you have any questions, just come and uh, talk to me and I'll help you. So we are coming out of our 21 day fast. And uh, I've been hearing all kinds of reports of, uh, of people who, who during this 21 days, you've been leaning in, you've been hearing God, You've, you've touched God, even when it wasn't convenient. You've pressed through, and you've made the attempt and to, to see him. And during these 21 days, I, I begin to ask God, God, give me direction for our church. God, help me to know and to follow you. And, and, and God, as I follow you, may the people follow me. And I began to, to pray, and I started to ask specific things, like, what do we need to do, God, in order to become the life-giving church that you have called us to be? What steps do we need to take? And I began to ask him that question. And can I tell you that when you take time to, to quiet the noise of your life, when you take time to listen to him, when you take time to, to touch him, when you take time to see him, when you pray, God will show up. Now, it doesn't always look the same. It doesn't look like. So here I am, I've been, I've been seeking direction and I was waiting for God just to, to, to a voice from heaven, do this. I was waiting for one of those 
God just let me go to the Bible and open it up and bam, right there it is, God's direction. That's what I was looking for. But it didn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the direction for the next month that I'd been asking God for, it came to me in the form of a conversation that took place in my kitchen around 2 a.m. in the morning. Yes, 2 a.m. That's why I have bags under my eyes. I can't get these people out of my house. But sometimes there are 2 a.m. conversations. And I wouldn't trade those conversations for anything. And on this particular occasion, a few weeks ago, someone had they'd come over on a weeknight, so they had to get up to go to work. I just had to be up in time to teach school. But we had no idea that our evening would turn into an evening that would last until almost 3 a.m. But we started talking about God, and we started talking about church, and, and we started talking about ministry. And the next thing you know, you look at your watch, and it's after 2 o'clock. But as that conversation happened, I was asked the question. Now, it wasn't in, in these exact words. But the gist of it is, what, what do we have to do? What can we do to take the next step? That was the same question I had been asking God, but I hadn't heard an answer. But in that moment when I was asked the question, there was one word that, that the Holy Spirit just put into my spirit, and it was selfless. Selfless. And as I began to think about that word, I believe God began to speak to me and say that in order for us to take the next steps in our lives individually and take the next step as a church, we have to become, we must become selfless. When we think about our relationship with God, the reality is, is that when it comes to God, it's usually more about us than it is about him. So many people, when we pray, we try to get God to do what we want him to do. Instead of trying to, to figure out what God wants from our life, we live a, a self-centered and have a self-centered way of living. God, help me. Bless me. God, make me richer. God, help me find a, a hot wife. Come on, you've prayed it. God, bring me a rich husband. God, help me be happier. Simply put, we say, God, give me what I want. But then when life doesn't go that way, when we don't get what we want, we say, well, I tried, church. I tried, God. I mean, I read my Bible. I gave him 21 days. I didn't get the better job. The girl that, that I thought I was going to marry, she got engaged to somebody else. The guy that I thought had all the money, he was lying. He was poor. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. And we live our lives thinking that God exists for us when in truth it's exactly the opposite. We exist to honor and to serve him. 
We exist for him. When Jesus invited people to follow him, what did he say? He said, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and you must take up your cross daily and follow me. And if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to, to, to do what he's called us to do, we have to begin to live a selfless life. In other words, it has to become less about us and more about him. The culture that we live in today is so self-centered. It's a selfish culture. It's a, what's in it for me? What do I get out of it? I mean, if I serve God and I come to church every Sunday and, and I do all this, and, and, and what do I get in return? So over the next four weeks, we're going to, to look at four ways that we can become selfless. Now, I don't normally do this because I'm afraid if I tell you where we're going each week, you'll pick and choose when you want to come. But I just happen to believe that I'm talking to a group of people that, that, that you're ready to take the next step. So for the next four weeks, uh, today we're going to be talking about being bold in witness. In, in other words, being bold in sharing our faith in Christ. Next week, we're going to be talking about faithful in service, using our gifts to minister to other people. The third week, we're going to talk about becoming and giving, having, uh, becoming extravagant in our giving and our generosity. And then in the fourth week, we're going to talk about being grateful in the grind. In other words, we're going to say, instead of God, what do I want? God, what do you want? I mean, think about it. What would it be like if we said, God, use me to reach more people, even if I'm laughed at, even if I'm ridiculed? God, help me to be bold in witness. What would our life be like? What would it be like if we said, God, use me and allow me to use the gifts that you have given to me to serve others? God, help me show your love, even if it makes me uncomfortable. God, I want to be faithful in service. God, help me to use what you've blessed me with to be a blessing to others, even if it means I have to change the way that I live. God, it's my desire to be extravagant in generosity. And God, help me every single day of my life, even though every day just seems like Groundhog Day. I mean, I get up, I go to work, I come home, I eat dinner, I go to bed, I get up, I go to work. Anybody resonate with that? Your life becomes mundane. And you begin to look at that. And what if we said, God, help me every day that I wake up to realize that even though my life may seem mundane, that everything I do, I do for your glory, becoming grateful in the grind. So instead of, uh, of being self-centered and selfish, what if we, as followers of Jesus, would strive to live a selfless life by denying ourselves and saying, Jesus, we want what you want. God, it's not about me, it's about you. So today we're going to talk about being bold in witness. In the Bible, there were some disciples. 
And, and what these were, these were men that Jesus had been training. He had been training them. He had been investing time in them. He had done this for three years. So what Jesus is doing is he handpicked these guys and he's beginning to teach them what it means to know God. He's trying to, to teach them what it's like to pray. He's trying to teach them what it's like to hear from God. He's trying to teach them how to be a blessing to others. He's investing time in them. And as you read throughout the, the, the Gospels, there were times that Jesus would look at them and he would say something like this. He would say, guys, remember, we're doing this for one reason. And that reason is because one day I'm going to give my life. I'm going to, to die on a cross. But in three days, God's going to raise me from the dead. Now, as Jesus would tell them this, and as you read through the Gospels, you'll see that most of the time, the disciples, they just didn't get it. They couldn't comprehend it. Why? Because they didn't know how the story would end. They didn't know what the final chapter was like. And so here they are. They're listening to Jesus tell them that he's going to die, but that he's going to raise from the dead. And often they would look back at him and say, no, no, Jesus, it can't be that way. You can't do that. It can't end that way. And Jesus would have to look at them and say, listen, read my lips. I have to die. I have to die for the forgiveness of sins. I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. And Jesus over and over again would hammer this into them. He said, I'm going to die, but in three days, I'm going to live again. So the time came. And just like Jesus said, when Jesus said it, you can bank on it. Just like he said, he goes to the cross, he's crucified, he's put into a borrowed tomb, and three days later, just like he said, he rose. Now, what do you think the disciples were doing? Here you are, you've walked with this man, you've seen him heal the sick, you, you've seen him do all of these miracles, you've seen everything that he said come to pass, come to pass, except this one thing. He's told them in three days he's going to live again. Do you think they were out proclaiming in the streets? People were, would be looking at them and saying, oh yeah, that man you were following, he was dead, he's dead. And they could look back at him and say, oh, just wait, it's happening. You just watch, he's coming back. He said he was gonna do it, we believe him. Do you think they were out proclaiming what he had told them? No. Here's what happened. John chapter 20, verse 19. It says, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. 
So here they are. Jesus has told them what's going to happen. Everything else he's ever said has come to pass. But instead of them being out proclaiming what he said, the Bible tells us they're locked behind closed doors. They're locked behind closed doors. Why? Because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Jesus had told them he was coming back. He had performed miracles, but instead of proclaiming it, they were in lockdown. Why? Because they were afraid of the enemies of Christ. They were afraid of death. They were afraid of ridicule. So they're hiding out. And we think about it in our, in our lives. And for those of us who are, who are followers of Christ, why is it that we aren't bold in our witness of Christ? Why is it? Now you could stand there or sit there and you could say, there's a lot of reasons. We could say, I'm afraid I don't know enough. I'm afraid I'll start talking to someone and they'll have a question. I won't know the answer. And that sorry pastor won't answer my phone call. I'm not doing it. We could be afraid that we're going to offend someone. Well, I don't want to be that kind of Christian. But when we think about the reasons that we don't share the gospel of Christ, it comes down to one word. And that one word is simply fear. Fear. So just like the disciples, we live our lives behind the locked doors afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now, listen, I understand this. I mean, just because I'm pastor doesn't mean that, that, that I get up every day just ready to, to shout it from the rooftops. There's some days that there's some days that I just I'm thinking, man, I don't even know if I want anybody to know I'm a Christian. I mean, as I was getting ready for this sermon, I, I had to start looking and examining myself. I mean, because when it comes to people, I, I do have a boldness to get into their life. I mean, if you give me just a, a little bit of time, I, I can find out where they're from, how many kids they have, what they had for lunch. I mean, it doesn't matter. I am bold when it comes to that. But sometimes I struggle when it comes to being bold about Christ. I find myself trying to make sure that I don't turn them off. Now, listen, that's okay to some extent. But there comes a time that we have to be bold about Christ and about what he's done in our lives. But the reason that we don't is because fear keeps us from doing it. The disciples were meeting behind closed doors. They were afraid. The rest of that verse says, suddenly, Jesus was standing there. So in other words, they're here, hiding behind locked doors. And all of a sudden, that, the Jesus that they had followed, the Jesus that had told them he was coming back, all of a sudden, there he is. Now, if I would have been Jesus, I would have looked at them and said, what are you doing? You sorry bunch of people. 
I told you I was coming back. There's people out there that need to know that, that, that I'm going to, to live again. What are you doing? Did I waste the last three years on you clowns? I mean, I'm just telling you what I would have been thinking. But Jesus walks into the room, and what does he say? He looks at them. He sees the fear in their eyes. And he says, peace be with you. In other words, Jesus was saying, don't be afraid. I see the fear. Don't be afraid. Quit hiding in here and get out there. Do what you're supposed to be doing. These guys, when Jesus said those words to them, within, in a matter of a few chapters of Scripture, they went from being selfish, self-centered, worried about themselves, fearful, that all changed. And in, in just a matter of moments, with, with those words, peace be with you, they became bold. They became courageous. As a matter of fact, when we read in, in the last part of, of John, in the beginning of Acts, Peter, the biggest coward of them all, the, the one who, who wouldn't even admit that he knew Jesus to a little girl, denied his best friend, denied the one that he had proclaimed was Christ, son of the living God denied him in front of this little girl because he was afraid. Within the next few chapters, he's out preaching boldly. He's out preaching in front of all these people saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sin. You couldn't shut him up. So the religious leaders, as we read on in Acts, they arrest him. He's now this bold and courageous, probably some would say obnoxious. And they come to him, they arrest him, and they put them in jail. And you know what Peter's doing? He's still preaching. Verse 7 chapter of Acts chapter 4 says, They brought in the two disciples, and they demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, aware of the resurrection, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? So here we have Peter, this, this man that was afraid in front of a little girl, was afraid, locked behind uh, behind, hiding behind locked doors. And you have this man, and in this moment, now he is willing to stand face to face with these same people that he feared for his life. And he looks at them, and he says, you want me to tell you how this happened? Are you questioning what has happened? Let me tell you how. He said, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that this man was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Peter is looking at them and says, let me tell you, it's not me. I don't want recognition. 
then that same Jesus that he had denied, he said, let me tell you how this happened. It's because of Jesus Christ. And then he just went a little bit more and he said, you know, the ones that you dummies put on the cross, the ones that you guys tried to get rid of. I mean, think about how boldly he was speaking. Now, because of the resurrection and because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he could look at death and he could boldly say, I'll tell you what happened. Peter now believed deeply. All the time that he had spent with Jesus. But until this moment, it wasn't enough to convince him. Until this moment, that final moment, when Jesus looked at him and said, don't be afraid, peace be with you. It took him seeing that and hearing that changed everything. And then in that moment and throughout the rest of his life, Peter began to talk about what he deeply believed. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Just a couple years ago, I uh, was at a store and just really just browsing. And this salesman came up and he said, hey, have you seen these shoes? No. What are they called? Hey, dudes. So I'm thinking... I mean, you got like Nike, you got Reba. What is hey, dude? And he begins to tell me about them. He said, man, they're so light and, and, and you can wash them and, and you can do all this stuff. And, and, and so he convinces me, so I buy a pair. And I'm so proud of these shoes. I, I come home and I'm showing one of my friends. And, he, and, and I'm telling you, this is truth. He looks at the shoes and he said, oh, those are nice. Do they make them for men? True story. And so I just, my feelings were hurt a little bit, but I, I was able to brush that off because I was just so happy with the shoes. And so I began to, to tell people about them. And, and I bought a second pair and a third pair and, and then all of a sudden, my friends started buying them. And I had this one friend that was a holdout. He absolutely, he's like, I ain't wearing those. Give me my steel-toed boots. He was a holdout. And I said, you know what? I believe so deeply in these shoes that I am going, and I'm going to buy him a pair. I texted somebody. I said, what size shoe does he wear? And they told me. I went to the mall and I bought him these shoes. I couldn't wait. I, we, I didn't wrap them. My wife wrapped them up. I couldn't wait to see the look on his face when he opened them. Hey, dude. And he opened them and you could tell, you know how you get that present that, that you want to be thankful for, but you're thinking, I don't want this. You know that thing that you take home and either re-gift or put under the bed? I could see that was the look in his eyes. And I just looked at him. I said, put them on. And he took those shoes and he put them on. And when he put them on, he was like, man, 
his life was revolutionized. Next thing I know, he's buying his daughter a pair. He's buying this person a pair. His dad wants a pair. Why? Because I believe deeply about the shoes. Now, if you're going to go out and buy them, tell me, because I'm getting ready. As soon as this is done, I'm going to buy some stock. Okay? And hey, dudes, I want to get in on the ground level. But you can go around this church and, and a lot of people. I mean, our conversation between first and second service was about shoes. It's just the kind of pastor I am. I think I sold three pair. Won't get a bit of commission. But when you begin to talk boldly about what you believe deeply, regardless of what someone said about them, but you believe it so deep and you're so passionate about it because you know how it's revolutionized your life. People will pay attention. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 4 says there's salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It says the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that these were just ordinary men. They had no special training. They didn't know the scriptures. And then the Bible says, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. These leaders were amazed at their boldness. So let me ask you this question this morning. How amazed are people about your boldness in Christ? How amazed are people when it comes to your boldness in Christ? I mean, on a scale of one to 10, with one being the devil, 10 being Jesus. So we should have no ones and we should have no tens. So on a scale of two to nine, where would you be? You say, well, pastor, I have no idea. Well, well let me help you with it. If you're thinking just in yourself, yeah, I'm a seven, eight, or nine. If you're thinking that, then the validation for that would probably be you're not here alone today. You have some people that you've been telling about Jesus and they've heard so much about it, so much about him, that they want to see what it's all about. They've decided to come to see for themselves. If you're a seven, eight, or nine, you probably have two or three people that you've talked to this week about your faith in Christ. You probably have two or three people that, that you've told how that he has made a difference in your life and how that he can make a difference in theirs. Now, if you're on the lower end of that scale, you may have never brought anybody to church. You aren't praying for anybody. You aren't sharing your faith. As a matter of fact, some people may not even know that you're a Christ follower. You say, Pastor, man, how did you go from such uplifting messages in three weeks to this? That's some hard stuff. 
Listen, all I'm asking is, when people look at you, how amazed are they by your spiritual boldness? The Bible tells us if we're a follower of Christ, we're called to be salt and light. Now, if I would ask you the question, what does salt and light do? You would want to tell me, you know, you put salt on food, it makes it better. You put light in a dark place. But can I tell you when it comes down to it, what salt and light do? They make a difference. They make a difference. And what he tells us to do, it's a calling. It's not a suggestion. He doesn't say, well, just if you want to. So you say, well, pastor, how do I do that? How do I become more bold in spirit? How do I become more bold in my witness? With the time we have left, I want to give you two simple thoughts found in Acts chapter 4. And they are simple, but I can promise you they'll make a difference in your life. The first thing that you must do is, is you must spend more time with him. Spend more time praying, spend more time listening, spend more time communicating with him, reading his word. I mean, if you look at Acts chapter four, as we read, the Bible tells us that these were unschooled men. The Greek word for unschooled is the same root word that we get the word idiot. So if you've ever felt that way, you're a perfect vessel for God. The Bible tells us that they were idiotic when it came to the scriptures. They didn't know anything. They weren't anything special outside of one thing. They recognized them as the men who had been with Jesus. Listen, there are days that I get up and I have so many things to do. My mind has raced all night long. And as soon as my feet hit the floor, before my feet hit the floor, all I can do is think about, I got to get this done. I got this meeting. I got to do this. I got to teach English. I got to do social studies. I got to do all these things. And before I know it, my day has started and I've not spent time with God. You say, pastor, you should admit that. You should tell people that you spend four hours every morning. I could tell you that, but it'd be a lie. Because there are days that when my day gets started, that I find it hard. But can I tell you on those days what my day is like? I'm not very bold in my witness. Someone cuts me off in traffic, and the only thing I can think is, I wonder how they're going to like the front end of this Sonata and the back end of that SUV. There are days I haven't spent time with God and the, the Reds blow a, a, a big lead in the ninth inning and I'm mad. I don't throw things anymore. I'm at least that sanctified. But my day is just a mess. And when people look at me, they have no idea. They don't recognize me as the man who's been with Jesus. But then there's other days that I get up and I say, you know what? Before I do anything, I'm going to spend time with God. Before I do anything, I'm going to do as, as he says in Romans chapter 12, I'm going to allow him to renew my mind. And I 
pray and I ask him, God, help me with my selfish attitudes. And God puts people on my mind and I, I pray for them and I bring them before God. And when I do that, you know what happens? I have more confidence in being bold about him. But the confidence is not in myself. When Peter looked at these leaders and he said, it's him. That confidence that he had wasn't any confidence that he had, but it was confidence that he had in God. It was a divine confidence. And when you begin to spend time with him, you'll, begin a, you'll become to have a divine confidence in him. And when I do that, I feel bolder. I've been spending time with him. And when I see an opportunity, God will, I, I, I see when God puts someone in front of me, when I haven't prayed, I see it as an aggravation. But when I've spent time with God, I see it as an opportunity. There's a difference. When God puts someone before me, I see it. I recognize it. I'm more bold in, in using that opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. So the first thing is just spend more time with him. And the second thing is ask him for boldness. Now, you think that, that sounds simple, but when was the last time that you asked God for boldness? Listen, as, as I was studying and, and preparing for this sermon, I had to ask myself the question, God, when was the last time I asked for boldness? Look what happened in Acts. The religious leaders, they, were, they continued to threaten the disciples. Basically, they said, knock it off. We're going to put you in jail. You're going to lose your freedom. You're possibly going to lose your life. Stop it. Right now, we live in a country where we can share our faith as of today. But what if, what if, what would it be like if people were coming to your door, threatening you jail or death, if you don't stop it, stop talking about him? What would it be like? What would you be praying for? I'll tell you what I'd be praying for. God, protect me. God, keep me safe. Do you know what these disciples were praying for? These same disciples that spent time locked behind closed doors. Verse 29 tells us, chapter 4. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. They weren't either. They had no training in the scriptures. They were ordinary men who had spent time with Jesus. And here they are put in front of these people who could take their life. And they pray for God, give me boldness. In other words, don't let me quiet down, but let me say it even louder. Let me say it louder for the people in the back. When we think about this, we have to put it in the front of our mind. We have to put it in the front of our mind that when this life is over, people are going to live somewhere for eternity. If you believe the scriptures, 
People are gonna live in the presence of God in heaven or they're going to experience the horror of eternal damnation in hell. Now, I'll be honest, I have never been a fan of, nor have I ever been a fire and brimstone type of preacher. Someone that would just try to, to scare people to Christ. But the reality is that there is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is a place called hell. It's a place of, of eternal damnation, eternal torment. And when we begin to talk about it, words cannot convey. You will you, you, you hear, man, you will hear people so passionate I can't even talk. You will, will hear people say that they're going through hell on earth. It's not true. Because there is no comparison to anything that happens to you on this earth earth that will compare to what's prepared for those who deny Christ. But in the same way, there's another place and words can't adequately describe it either. The glory, the beauty, the splendor, the majesty of the dwelling of God, the place that's prepared for him and his people. It's what the Bible calls heaven. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 tells us this. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You can't describe it. You can't imagine it. But this morning, in the front of your mind, we have to understand that there are people in your life right now that you love who do not know the grace of Jesus. And right now, as long as they're breathing, it's not too late for them. If you're here today and you don't know the grace of God, if you've never become a follower of him, it's not too late for you. But one day it will be. One day it will be. The Bible tells us that death is certain. And so the problem with that is, is that we spend our lives hiding behind locked doors. We spend our life playing the what if game. What if I share my faith? They don't want to hear it. What, what, if I, well, what if I try to tell them and they make fun of me? What if, what if, what if, what if? Fear, 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 fear. Remember, these disciples were scared to death. So this is not a condemning message. He didn't come to condemn us. And if he said he wasn't going to condemn you, I'm not condemning you either. Because if I condemn you, I'm having to condemn me. But there's a difference in condemnation and conviction. When these disciples realized that Jesus had risen, everything changed. Some of you, this is the moment 
The, the, the tomb is empty. Instead of being afraid, just like Peter, you have a revelation of the resurrection filled with the Spirit. You're just an ordinary person. But you say, I want to be courageous in my faith. I want to be bold in my witness. We speak boldly about what we believe deeply. And when we believe that Jesus is a name above every name, the name that which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, when we deeply believe that He is soon returning, When we deeply believe that he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, he's the living water. When we deeply believe it, we'll boldly speak it. And we'll stop living our lives in fear and we'll stop living our lives thinking, well, if I do this, if I bring three people to Christ, what kind of reward do I get when I get to heaven? We'll say, you know, no matter what, just like these shoes, if I sell three pair, convince three people to buy them, I don't get anything except one thing. I get the satisfaction of knowing that they're getting to experience what I've experienced. You'll never experience anything greater than speaking to someone about Christ and seeing their life changed never it's the most rewarding thing you'll ever experience it's better than any raise it's better than, than anything you can imagine to watch someone cross over from death to life I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are say, pastors, you know, the last three weeks we've had people run into the altars and, and, and listen, the last three weeks have been awesome. But I believe the last three weeks have been preparing us to handle some of these things we're going to be talking about. Because if you've not been spending time with him, you could listen to this sermon and you could leave here and say, man, he was mean this morning. Must have got up on the wrong side of the bed. But when you've been spending time with him, hearing from him, I pray that you can see my heart. And my heart is that I want God to use us to reach people. It's not about In the pastoral circle, sometimes, you know, the common question on Sunday afternoon is you get a text, how many did you have today? Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with my ego. It has everything to do with that there are people who need to hear about him. It's up to you 
It is up to me to speak boldly about what we believe deeply. So we're going to close this service and we're going to pray. And then Nick's going to lead us just in a a short course. And I pray that when we leave here, that just, that if, if it's been fear that's keeping you locked behind rooms, locked doors, I'm praying that as I pray or as I've been speaking, that Jesus has whispered to you, peace be with you. Father, I come before you right now. God, I'm so thankful, honored, and privileged to be able to stand every Sunday in front of this great group of people. God, there's absolutely no other place and no other group of people that I'd rather be doing ministry with. God, I thank you for allowing us to to live life in a community. God, to, to really know people, to know each other, to know our hearts. God, as I come before you this morning, I pray that for those that are seated in this auditorium, for those who are watching online, God, I pray that you will speak to our hearts, that you will calm the fear of being bold, speaking of you. Holy Spirit, whisper those four words, peace be with you. Father, may we leave here knowing and being convinced of the resurrection. May we leave here filled with your spirit. And may we be ready to proclaim what you've done in our lives. Father, it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray and ask. Sing this chorus with us. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I could search for all eternity long and find there is none like you there is none like you no one else can touch my heart like you do you believe it deeply tell him and I could search for all eternity long and find There is none like you. There is none like you. No one else can touch my heart like you do. And I can search for all eternity. Do you believe it this morning? There's none like him.